Chapter Six of the Charing Cross Mystery by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Samples of Ink. Hollis led the way farther along the alley between the high, black, windowless walls, and suddenly turning into a little court, paused before a door set deep in the side of an old, half-timbered house. "'Queer old place, this,' he remarked over his shoulder. "'But you'll get a glass of as good port or sherry from this chap as you'd get anywhere in England. He knows his customers. Come in.' He led the way into a place the like of which Heatherwick had never seen. A snug, cosy room, panelled and raftered in old oak, with a bright fire burning in an open hearth, and the flicker of its flames dancing on the old brass and pewter that ornamented the walls. There was a small bar counter on one side of it, and behind this, in his shirt-sleeves, and with a cigar protruding from the corner of a pair of clean-shaven, humorous lips, stood a keen-eyed man, busily engaged in polishing wine-glasses. "'Good morning, gentlemen,' he said heartily. "'Nice morning, Mr. Hollis, for this time of year. "'And what can I do for you and your friend, sir?' "'Hollis glanced round the room, empty, save for themselves. "'He drew a stool to the bar and motioned Heatherwick to follow his example. "'I think we'll try your very excellent dry sherry, Hudson,' he answered. "'That is, if it's as good as it was last time I tasted it.' "'Always up to standard, Mr. Hollis, always up to standard, sir,' replied the barkeeper. "'No inferior qualities, no substitutes, and no trading on past reputation in this establishment, gentlemen. As good a glass of dry sherry here, sir, as you'd get where sherry wine comes from, and you can't say that of most places in England, I think. Everything's of the best here, Mr. Hollis, as you know.' Hollis responded with a little light chaff. Suddenly he bent across the bar. "'Hudson,' he said confidentially, "'my friend here has something he'd like to show you. "'Now then,' he continued, as Heatherwick, in response to this, had produced the picture, "'do you recognize that?' The barkeeper put on a pair of spectacles and turned the picture to the light, examining it closely. His lips tightened then relaxed in a cynical smile. "'Aye,' he said, half carelessly, "'it's the woman that did old Malladale out of that diamond necklace. "'Of course, Mistress Whittingham.' "'Would you know her again if you met her now?' asked Hollis. The barkeeper picked up one of his glasses and began a vigorous polishing. "'Aye,' he said laconically, and i should know her by something else than her face just then two men came in and hudson broke off to attend to their wants but presently they carried their glasses away to a snug corner near the fire and the barkeeper once more turned to hollis and heatherwick ay he said confidentially if need were i could tell that party by something else than her face handsome as that is I used to tell Hannaford, when he was busy trying to find her, that if he'd any difficulty about making certain, I could identify her if nobody else could. 
you see i saw a deal of her when i was stopping at the white bear and i knew something that nobody else knew what is it asked heatherwick hudson leaned closer across the counter and lowered his voice she was a big handsome woman this mrs whittingham he continued very showy dressy woman fond of fine clothes and jewellery and so on sort of woman you know that would attract attention anywhere and one of these women too that was evidently used to being waited on hand and foot she took her money's worth out of the white bear i can tell you i did a deal for her one way or another and i'll say this for her she was free enough with her money if it so happened that she wanted things doing for her she kept you fairly on the go till they were done but she threw five shilling pieces and half ground about as if they were farthings she'd send you to take a sixpenny telegram and give you a couple of shillings for taking it well now as i say i saw a deal of her one way and another getting cabs for her and taking things up to her room and doing this that and t'other and it was with going up there one day sunlike with a telegram that had just come that i found out something about her something that as i say i could have told her by anywhere even if she could have changed her face and put a wig on i and what now asked hollis this answered hudson with a knowing look maybe i'm a noticing sort of chap anyhow there was a thing i always noticed about mrs whittingham wherever she was and no matter how she was dressed whether it was in her going out things or her dinner finery she always wore a band of black velvet round her right forearm just above the wrist where women wear bracelets in fact it was a sort of a bracelet a strip as i say of black velvet happened about two inches wide and on the front a cameo ornament size of a shilling white stone or something of that sort with one of these heathen figures carved on it there were other folk about the place noticed that black velvet band too i tell you she was never seen without it chambermaids said she slept with it on but on the occasion i'm telling you about when i went up to her room with a telegram i caught her without it she opened her door to see who knocked she was in a dressing-gown going to change for dinner i reckon and she held out her right hand for what i'd brought her and the black velvet band wasn't on it and for just a second like i saw what was on her arm yes said hollis something remarkable for a lady ay replied hudson with a grim laugh her arm was tattooed right round the place where she always wore this black velvet band there was a sneak red and green and yellow and blue with its tail in its mouth wonderfully done too it had been no novice that had done this bit of work i can tell you of course i just saw it and no more but there was a strong electric light close by and i did see it and saw it plain and all and that's a thing that that woman whoever she may be and wherever she's got to can never rub off nor scrub off she'll carry that to the day of her death the two listeners looked at each other odd remarked hollis 
Heatherwick turned toward the barkeeper. "'Did she notice that you saw that her arm was tattooed?' he asked. "'Nay, I don't think she did,' replied Hudson. "'Of course, the thing was over in a second. I made no sign that I'd seen aught particular, and she said not, but I saw.' Just then other customers came in, and the barkeeper turned away to attend to their wants. Hollis and Heatherwick moved from the counter to one of the snug corners at the far end of the room. "'Whoever she may be, wherever she may be, as Hudson said just now,' remarked Hollis, "'and if this woman really had anything to do with the mysterious circumstances of Hannaford's death, she ought not to be difficult to find. A woman who carries an indefaceable mark like that on her arm, and whose picture has recently appeared in a newspaper, should be easily traced i think i shall get at her through the picture agreed heatherwick the newspaper production seems to have been done from a photograph which from its clearness and finish was probably taken by some first-class firm in london i shall go round such firms as soon as i get back it may be of course that she's nothing whatever to do with hannaford's murder but still it's a trail that's got to be followed to the end now that one's started on it well that seems to finish my business here as far as she's concerned but there's another matter i told you that when hannaford came to town he had on him a sealed packet containing the secret of some invention or discovery and that it's strangely and unaccountably missing his granddaughter says that he worked this thing out, whatever it is, in a laboratory that he had in his garden. Now then, before I go, I want to see that laboratory. As he's only recently left the place, I suppose things will still be pretty much as he left them at his old house. Where did he live? He lived on the outskirts of town, replied Hollis, an old-fashioned house that he bought some years ago, I know it by sight well enough, though I've never been in it. I don't suppose it's let yet, though I know it's being advertised in the local papers. Let's get some lunch at the White Bear, and then we'll drive up there and see what we can do. You want to get an idea of what it was that Taniford had invented. Just so, assented Heatherwick. If the secret was worth all that he told his granddaughter it was— he may have been murdered by somebody who wanted to get sole possession of it. Anyway, it's another trail that's got to be worked on. I never heard of Hannaford as an investigator or experimenter, remarked Hollis. But there, I knew little about him, except in his official capacity. He and his granddaughter, and an elderly woman they kept as a working housekeeper, were quiet sort of folk. I knew that he brought up his granddaughter from infancy and gave her a rattling good education at the girls' high school, but beyond that I know little of their private affairs. I suppose he amused himself in this laboratory you speak of in his spare time? Dabbled in chemistry, I understand, said Heatherwick, and if it hasn't been dismantled, we may find something in that laboratory that will give us a clue of some sort." Hollis seemed to reflect for a minute or two. "'I've an idea,' he said suddenly. "'There's a man who lunches at the White Bear every day, a man named Collison. 
he's analytical chemist to a big firm of dyers in the town i've seen him in conversation with hannaford now and then perhaps he could tell us something on this point come on this is just about his time for lunch a few minutes later in the coffee-room of the hotel hollis led heatherwick up to a bearded and spectacled man who had just sat down to lunch and having introduced him briefly detailed the object of his visit to selithwaite collison nodded and smiled i understand he said as they seated themselves at his table hannaford did dabble a bit in chemistry in quite an amateur way but as to inventing anything that was worth all that come still he was an ingenious man for an amateur and he may have hit on something fairly valuable you've no idea what he was after of late no but some time ago he was immensely interested in aniline dyes replied collison he used to talk to me about them that's a subject of infinite importance in this district of course as i dare say you know the germans have been vastly ahead of us as regards aniline dyes and we've got most if not all of the stuff used from germany hannaford used to worry himself as to why we couldn't make our own aniline dyes and i believe he experimented but with his resources as an amateur of course that was hopeless i've sometimes seen him talking to you observed hollis you've no idea what he was after of late no he used to ask me technical questions answered collison you know i just regarded him as a man who had a natural taste for experimenting with things this was evidently his hobby i used to chaff him about it still he was a purposeful man and by reading and experiment he picked up a lot of knowledge and i suppose it's within the bounds of possibility that he had hit on something of practical value oh quite within such bounds as he may have done agreed collison i've known much greater amateurs suddenly discover something the question then is do they know enough to turn their discovery to any practical purpose or account evidently from what he told his granddaughter hannaford did think that he knew enough said heatherwick what i want to find out from a visit to his old laboratory is what had he discovered and as you're not a chemist nor even a dabbler remarked hollis with a laugh that won't be easy you'd better come with us after lunch collison i can give you a couple of hours assented collison i'm already curious especially if any discovery we can make tends to throw light on the mystery of hannaford's death pity the police haven't got hold of the man who was with him he added glancing at heatherwick i suppose you could identify him unless he's an absolute adept at disguising himself yes positively replied heatherwick he was a noticeable man an hour later the three men drove up to a house which stood a little way out of town on the edge of the moorland that stretches towards the great range of hills on the west the house an old-fashioned solitary place was empty save for a caretaker who had been installed in its back rooms to keep it aired and to show it to possible tenants the laboratory a stone-walled 
timber-roofed shed at the end of the garden had never been opened said the caretaker since mr hannaford locked it and left it but the key was speedily forthcoming and the three visitors entered and looked round each with different valuings of what he saw the whole place was a wilderness of litter and untidiness whatever hannaford had possessed in the way of laboratory plant and appliances had been removed and now there was little but rubbish glass whole and broken paper derelict boxes and crates odds and ends of wreckage to look at but the analytical chemist glanced about him with a knowing eye examining bottles and boxes picking up a thing here and another there and before long he turned to his companions with a laugh pointing at the same time to a table in a corner which was covered with dust-lined pots it's very easy to see what hannaford was after he said he's been trying to evolve a new ink ink exclaimed hollis incredulously aren't there plenty of inks on the market no end agreed collison with another laugh and again pointing to the table these are specimens of all the better-known ones british of course for no really decent ink is made elsewhere but even the very best ink up to now isn't perfect hannaford perhaps thought being an amateur that he could make a better than the known best ink that's what he's been after a superior perfectly fluid penetrating permanent non-corrosive writing ink that's been his notion a thousand to one i observed the presence of lots of stuffs that he's used he showed them various things explaining their properties and adding some remarks on the history of the manufacture of writing inks during the last hundred years taking it all together he concluded and in spite of manufacturers advertisements and boasting there isn't a really absolutely perfect writing fluid on the market that i know of anyway if hannaford thought he could make one and succeeded well i'd have been glad to have his formula money in it to the extent of a hundred thousand pounds asked heatherwick remembering what rona had told him all that oh well laughed collison you must remember that inventors are always very sanguine always apt to see everything through rose-coloured spectacles invariably prone to exaggerate the merits of their inventions but if hannaford by experiment really hit on a first-class formula for making writing ink superior in all the necessary qualities to its rivals yes there'd be a pot of money in it no doubt of that i suppose he'd have to take out a patent for his invention suggested heatherwick oh to be sure i should think that was one of his reasons for going to london to see after it assented collison he looked round again and again laughed well he said i think you know now you may be confident about it from what i've seen here what hannaford was after ink <laughs> just ink heatherward accepted this judgment and when he left selathwaite later in the afternoon on his return journey to london he summed up the results of his visit they were two first he had discovered that the woman of whom hannaford had spoken in the train was a person who ten years before had been known as mrs whittingham 
appeared to be some sort of adventuress, and, in spite of her restitution to the jeweller whom she had defrauded, was still liable to arrest, conviction, and punishment if she could be found. Second, he had found out that the precious invention of which Hannaford had spoken so confidently and enthusiastically to his granddaughter, and the particulars of which had mysteriously disappeared, related to the manufacture of a new writing-ink which might in truth prove a very valuable commercial asset so far so good he was finding things out as he ate his dinner in the restaurant car he considered his next steps but it needed little consideration to resolve on them he must find out all about the woman whose picture lay in his pocket-book what she now called herself, where she was, how her photograph came to be reproduced in a newspaper, and, last but far from least, if Hannaford, after seeing the reproduction, had got into touch with her or given information about her. To the man in the train, Hannaford had remarked that he had said nothing about her until that evening— yes but was that man the only man to whom he had spoken so much for that and the next thing was to find out somehow what had become of the sealed packet which hannaford undoubtedly had on him when he went out of malter's hotel on the night of his death End of chapter six